This is episode number 189 of the Rising Man podcast with Rob Miller. Grief is the doorway. Pain is the price of admission. Love is the take-home prize. Welcome back, Rising Man family, and thank you for joining me here again today. Jetty Azuma checking in behind the mic with another episode of the Rising Man podcast. Before we get into today's guests, I want to remind you to head over to risingman.org slash ignite to get yourself signed up for our 12-week launch pad starter course for men. If you're looking for greater clarity in your life, if you want to get more specific with your values and a strategy to move your life forward, then Ignite is the one-stop shop for you. It's a stupid low price. We made it that way because we want men to have access to this. And it's a great way to get your next foot in the door with the Rising Man community. So before you start the episode, head over to risingman.org slash ignite and get yourself registered today. Okay, today's guest is Rob Miller. Rob Miller is the lead guide and executive director of Cascadia Quest. He's a wilderness guide, ceremonialist, wild crafter, council leader, loving parent, and fun-loving instigator of radical and sustainable earth-based culture change. He guides and teaches rites of passage and other growth-related activities, ancestral skills, and more for Cascadia Quest and beyond. He has completed the School of Lost Borders Comprehensive Wilderness Guides Training Program, Wilderness First Aid with NOLS and WMI, has studied grief work and ritual with Saban Fu Somme of Burkina Faso, and most importantly incorporates his entire life experience into his work as a guide. In this episode, Rob and I did a deep dive examination of culture and the current state of society. Rob spoke about the value of seeing ourselves as a part of nature rather than separate from it. We discussed how we can affect large-scale cultural change. Instead of waiting for a savior, we can become the change ourselves. Rob discussed recreating the ways we deal with grief and the gift of feeling. We talked about the importance of togetherness in rites of passage work, why coming back to community after a rite of passage is instrumental in carrying the gifts forward. Lastly, make sure you stick around in the end to get the real juice on why community matters and why you need more. Without further ado, Rob Miller. Rising Man family, I've got another wonderful man joining me here today, Mr. Rob Miller, coming in live from just inside the county line in Eugene, Oregon. Rob, how are you doing today? Great. It's beautiful down. I'm excited to talk with you. Wonderful. Yeah, I've been really looking forward to this conversation. As the listeners of Rising Man podcast know, I really love and value the rites of passage community. And you're a man who's had many, many years of experience um, as a guide, as a participant, as a as a leader and pioneer in bringing rites of passage back to our community here in the Western world. Mm-hmm. So excited to tap into your wisdom today, Rob. Thanks for being here. Wow. All right. Thank you. <laughs> so I'm going to hit you with the question I ask everybody before we really jump in. And that is for you, what does it mean to be a man? Hmm. The first thing that comes to me is just to be real, just to be me. So that means I'll embody all of what I am as best I can, which is male, which is this body, which is these feelings on the inside, which is this heart. But yeah, authenticity authentic and showing up as I am with all those parts of myself. Mm. Simple in that way. 
Yeah. I want to ask you, as you were growing up, was that modeled for you by the men that you were surrounded by, whether it was your father or uncles or coaches? Not so much because my father wasn't there. So Mm. my parents divorced when I was three and I really didn't see my father. I have a couple memories from when I was three Mm. of this very tall person that probably looked a lot like I do now. (laughs) And my brother, who's 10 years elder to me, was kind of forced into this father role at 13, 14, 15, 16 until he moved out at 16. So I was six Mm. then. And I had a series of a few stepfathers that I really didn't like and resented. So no, I wouldn't say so really. I, when I got to be a father, I started looking back and I, I found that I was, I seemed to be showing up as a pretty good father, like doing a pretty good job of it. And I don't really have childhood recollections of how to do that. I feel like in a lot of ways, this kind of goes back to your initial question of like, being authentic and tapping into the heart and finding like the the larger father inside of me because mm-hmm. i didn't really have a lot to look back on this I, I never really even thought about it about whether i had male role models in my life until fairly recently until getting getting mm-hmm. into men's work and like really getting much more into men's work in the past decade i never really even thought about it and realized like wow there wasn't really a man who showed up for me my brother did the best he could but he was a teenager he was really a teenager. Mm. <laughs> so I didn't have male role models. No. Once I was an adult, and in my earlier life, in my in my late teens, 20s, 30s, I was a I was a musician, artist, composer, professional saxophone player. And through music, then I got role models. That was when I started mm. to have role models in my life. Because it was pretty much men who were playing music. It's overly thoroughly male dominated. I don't know what it's like today. I, I don't play professionally anymore, but back then it was just thoroughly male dominated. A woman was an oddity in music unless she was the singer. Um, but I did have a few men in particular, I studied Indian classical music and I got to learn in a very traditional way from a very traditional teacher from one of the really great, he was a singer and I was trying to emulate singing on my saxophone. That was kind of my thing, but I gotcha. learned a lot about life and about being a parent and being a father from him. Wonderful. So specifically the authenticity piece, because I know that's something that is being spoken about more and more is needing to hone our abilities to be authentic and true to ourselves. Would Where did you pick that up since it didn't come from the way you were raised in your childhood? Well, it may have come. It just came from my mom. She was a big influence on me. So I was raised pretty much by my mother and very strong influence from my grandmother. But my mom was, she was like, you know, I would say individualistic. But when I look back, like she really wanted to be herself. That was like her striving in her Mm -hmm. life. And she, she had the, the tension of being of a woman trying to make her way in the world as a young adult and adult in the 50s and 60s and 70s. So my mom really wanted to be herself. And I witnessed that and I saw that a lot. And I I think that she encouraged it. I definitely heard the you can be anything you want to be kind of that was like a mantra, you know, when I was a kid. Mm. But yeah, I think my mother really encouraged that. And by the time I was in high school thinking about what do I want to do? What do I want to be with myself? I had a very strong moment about I want to play music like that's what I love. And I heard a lot of people who missed 
who missed out. I heard a lot of people in my lives who, in other words, they had something they wished they could have done. And mm-hmm. I wished I could have blank. I didn't want to go through my life saying, I wished I could have. I wanted to try and I'd be better, rather try and fail than not. And I think the authenticity piece was definitely in there. I think about authenticity differently now. I think much more about it as being something from the heart that's synthesized Mm -hmm. through the heart and really listening deeply to my heart. So, yeah, I really like that piece. I think that that's a good connection there to make about the the willingness to accept failure as part of authenticity, you know, to live in a fully authentic life, to live sincerely from the heart requires that we are willing to accept any outcome, especially when the the outcome is beyond our control. And so, uh, Oftentimes, that's a hard thing for a lot of men to accept that story, that relationship with failures. It can be a really challenging one. Totally. Absolutely. It's funny that we're, we're going on to this because yesterday I, I met with a mentee with a youth who will soon be 18 and he was all wrapped up. I was like, what's going on? He was all tied up like, man, I can feel I'm going to be done with high school and I'm going to have to like get out there in the world and like, I'm afraid of falling down and I'm afraid of failure. And I stopped him after a while. I said, Hey, here's the reality is you're going to fail. You're going to fall down. You're going to skin your knees. You might even get hurt worse than that. So the thing is going to be like, how are you going to get back up? What do you rely on so that you can stand back up and try again and do the best you can, but we can waste our lives. I really believe this. Like we can waste our lives uncommitted. I really feel it's much better to like Think through it, feel through it, make good choices, commit, do something. And then if you get to it and it's like, it didn't work out, like, okay, well, we'll do something Mm -hmm. different or okay. And I got what I dreamed of and I got beyond what I dreamed of. But if we're all, if we live in uncommitment, it's much harder to get what we dream of. So yeah, Mm -hmm. I I just told him like, you're going to fall down. You're going to fall down. You're going to skin your knees. How are you going to get back up and take the next step? And it's so helpful to hear that. I think every young boy, teenager, adolescent, male should should have the benefit of a mentor or an uncle or somebody older than himself to be able to say, hey, that's going to happen, just like you did for that 17, 18-year-old. And I also know for myself, even hearing those words, because I heard that, I remember hearing that when I was at that stage of my life, but it wasn't until I experienced failure and then got to see that it wasn't the end of the game, that it wasn't the end of the road. The experience of failure and surviving it is, is also equally important, I think. That's an, a really interesting part of mentorship that I've been living into more is like, it's kind of like parenting in that very often you just don't get, you don't see the results and the benefits till way later. You know, they say you, you get way smarter in your kid's eyes once they're in their thirties, then mm-hmm. your parents get smarter and smarter. Right. And I think mm-hmm. that that's the same kind of thing around mentorship. Like a lot of times we may share something and it may go right past them. And then 20 years later, they fall down and somehow that little phrase comes back and they remember, right. Oh yeah. I remember when I went on that walk and, and my mentor told me like, yeah, man, you're going to fall down. How are you going to get back up? And they may have gotten smacked over the head really hard. How am I going to get back up? How am I going to get back up from this one? You know? So yeah, it's one sure. of those things. It's like a, it's not even like, don't even get in it for gratification. Like you get into it, mentorship for gratification or parenting. <laughs> it's it's later yeah. it's like building for later and you know contributing for later on and seeing us as part of a continuum of life 
which is so important. And actually, I think that's a great pivot point because I often think about this practice of planting seeds without ever needing to bear the fruit myself. I think that's really what's required for long-term cultural societal change. And one of the things that I pulled out of your bio that really struck me was, uh, I'm going to read it word for word here, radical and sustainable earth-based culture change. That really, yeah. that really caught my attention. Could you say a little bit about what that means for you? Yeah, it's interesting to hear words from a few years ago because we're constantly evolving. I think the radical piece definitely relates to the roots for me. So like, where are we coming from? You know, what is that radical that comes out of the seed and that lays down the roots? That part's super important. Like as, as we're talking, I'm looking outside, I'm looking out the windows at the trees. Cause like, to me, that's where the information is. So, mm. you know, and what does it truly mean to be sustainable? Not with these computer screens inside, but like outside where the, where to me, that's where the teachers are. And the teachers aren't on YouTube. The teachers are outside. Get down on the earth. Listen to the, mm-hmm. listen to like the little plants and the trees and the birds. What is sustainable? How have they sustained themselves from generation, generation, iteration to iteration over hundreds of thousands and millions of years? Like that's the stuff that I'm, that I'm looking for. So like, what does sustainability mean for me when we really come from the roots? And of course, the culture piece is like, that's where I see that we actually need to shift. What is the culture that's grown between us over the millennia, over the hundreds of thousands, millions of years of hominids? What's, what's the culture that's grown? And then what is, what's happened to our culture that we're, we're living this way? You know, I think that's important to be able to identify, like, what happened that we're living in this rectilinear fashion? What has happened mm-hmm. that we're, we're living in this polarized pointing fingers at other people? It's your fault rather than, hey, it's me as part of this earth thinking about the many, many generations to come and making my, my decisions in that way. You know, so like mm-hmm. the culture piece, I, like that's where I see things are going to need to change. Like until our basic story that informs our culture until our basic story changes we're just going to keep doing this like it looks to me like we're just going to keep doing this it doesn't matter what burns what you know pandemic or whatever comes by it seems like we're just hell-bent on following the story because our story what creates our culture and when that can change when we can get down on our knees with the grasses and the chipmunks i feel like that's mm-hmm. that's going to change so to me like that you know radical sustainable earth-based culture change yeah Yeah. Even just the word sustainable, I think it's thrown around so much these days that it's really important to look at what are we, what is it that we want to sustain? Cause I agree with you. I think there's many pieces of our culture that I don't, I don't want to sustain right now. (laughs) It's certainly not sustainable when we think of terms of resources, but there's definitely parts that need to be rewritten and redefined. And I look at, cause I have a a background as a healthcare worker before I started doing more of this type of work, I was a physical therapist. And so I was really closely in on how do we value life? And what do we do with life? And it's not a quality of living. It's the extension of life. It's also closely linked with a fear of death. And to me, it's a bigger reflection of a me-centric society where the entire goal is to sustain life, but not life in general, one person's life for as long as we possibly can, regardless of the quality of it, because the point is to keep life going. Mm -hmm. But 
at least the model that I prefer to look at is what you said, a multi-generational view of sustaining culture and sustaining life, thinking about the lives of our grandchildren more so than, than my life. And I think that's a fundamental shift. I don't know how we make it. I have some ideas, but I'm wondering if, if you feel the same way and if you have ideas on how that starts to change. Like our, our worldview itself? or I guess our orientation around our values and, and what life and what way of life do we value and, and what's required to change that? You know, for me, I've really believed that like when a person's heart can really crack open to life, really crack open to what I, to, I have to, to nature, to spirit and to community. So when we can really crack open deeply, deeply have deep experience of, oh, wait, I'm not separate from the fly. I'm not separate from the generations that'll come hundreds of years from now. I'm not separate and distinct from this tree. Actually, we're all part of the same organism. And I think that's what I hear you saying when you're talking about, about life, mm-hmm. not the life of the individual, but capital L-I-F-E. Mm-hmm. And how does that change? I've really, I used to think big. I used to think, oh, some big scale you know, the new Messiah will come that'll anoint people and then all the information will get out there. And I've stopped believing that we're waiting for any Messiah. I don't think we're waiting for a Messiah. I think we're waiting for ourselves. And so if mm. each, if I can touch in some way a person that helps them to remember their nature as nature, mm. if they can in some way crack open to something bigger than the human and the seen world. I like to trust that then the ripple effect from that happening will be valuable. Yeah. I still have wishes of like, oh, could I do something that goes way beyond me? But right now I'm like, I don't know, maybe you and I have a conversation and someone will listen to this and they're like going to go out and they're going to hang out with the chipmunks in a tree and something will shift in their hard to go like, oh, wow, I've been thinking I'm the center of the universe and the world's all about me, but it's not. It's actually about something way bigger than me. And I'm well one cell within the body. Maybe that'll happen for one person. Uh, I I can relate to that so much. In fact, a a large portion of the pain I experienced in my adolescence and on the cusp of stepping into adulthood myself was really seeing the pain in the world at a large scale for the first time. It happened when I started to travel internationally and spend some time in some third world regions of the world and seeing the real life human experience that some people are having on this planet. It brought up a lot of guilt for how I'm living and how how much I take for granted the life that I have. And then also just at, at this simultaneously seeing some of the injustices and atrocities of the world and feeling like it was so much bigger than me because I was still operating from that me-centric place. Like I had to be the superhero to save everybody. And it felt so overwhelming as a 23-year-old that I just... I just escaped. <laughs> I just ran away from it. I right. said, "There's, it's hopeless. There's nothing I can do. And it wasn't until I came into contact with the communities that were revolved around men's work and rites of passage that I started to see how I'm just a spoke of this large wheel. It liberated me from all of the burden that I was carrying for myself. Well, most of it. I won't say all of it because it was still a process to work through. But it, it gave me a very clear portal in for how I can play my role. And so right. I'd like to, to shift gears into speaking about rites of passage. First, to just really hear a little more about your story of your, your entry point. How did you find this? Because I, I don't believe that you grew up with that background, correct? Not in a way. I, I want to ask you about something before we move on to that, if it's okay. Because okay. there's, there's, sure. there's a topic that's, that's in there with when you're talking about seeing the pain. I was going to ask you, like, well, how do you be 
with the pain of the world? How do you, you know, be with that recognition? And you started to talk to that, but but I'm curious to to hear about that part because I think that's that's essential and it it goes very much into rites of passage. Yeah, well, thanks for slowing us down for a moment. The way I was with it originally was was by numbing myself. I was smoking a lot of marijuana. I was escaping from my responsibilities because it was so overwhelming and I didn't really I didn't really have any mentorship at the time to help me understand it. Sure. Now, there's a larger story in there about my journey of how I found a different way to be with it, but truly seeing how I can have an impact in a direct way in my community around me, zooming out from this bigger macro perspective and focusing in on the micro around me. And again, like you said, seeing the significance in all life, in the blade of grass amidst the entire field. That's the story I began to tell myself as I was coming out of it. And the other piece was recognizing that part of nature is very pain like pain pain is just a part of life pain is a part of life uh-huh. nature is violent at times you know like just the the life cycle is is it's there's life and then there's death and although some of the pain i witness in humanity is self-inflicted and i think we could really affect some significant change if we work together mm-hmm. i i've come to accept that as part of the natural course of things even though it's largely seems man-made and man-influenced, I've accepted it as part of the bigger story that we're living out. That's where I've come to at this point. And I'm also an optimist too. So I believe that there is, there's still more that we can do to improve the circumstances for all life on this planet. Mm-hmm. Awesome. I think that part of like actually being able to, being able to feel the pain is actually really important. You know, being able to, because the part you're saying about numbing out, man, how long is the list of ways that, that folks numb out right now? Gosh, how long mm-hmm. is the list of ways that people have had to numb out during this COVID pandemic when people aren't even, very few people are seeing or being next to each other or touching another human being or having someone, someone's shoulder to cry on? So mm-hmm. like that part of actually feeling deeply, I, I believe it's a big part of actually coming into the shift that we were talking about earlier of changing our story. Because if we can't feel deeply what is happening right now, it becomes much more difficult to be able to do something to change, to change the way it is. So I've definitely become a big believer that grief and dealing with grief and dealing with pain in a good way, in a good and useful way, because we can, we can look and see that, that, that traditional cultures have ways of dealing with grief. They have ways of dealing with pain. And particularly in the West and in America, we've really put like the lid on it. I mean, you know the stories mm-hmm. they say to men, right? Boys crying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Go to your room. I'll give you something to cry about, et cetera, et cetera. It's funny, mm-hmm. this story, like you might have, uh, there's a funny story that goes around that women feel and men don't feel. I think men feel more, actually. I think it's that mm-hmm. our hearts are so big and like our center is in our heart that is so big that then we really have to put a lid on it to be able to get through this dramatically painful way of life. So I think opportunities to feel and opportunities to grieve are so important. I mean, right now, man, it's so important to have real opportunities to grieve with witness and with community. And I'm still trying to figure out how to do that. I'm still trying to figure out like, how do we, how do we do that? Not just for me, but you might, you might 
seen from our website that one of the things we do is grief rituals and grief ceremonies. And usually it's a collective thing where people are together because it's very hard for the grief to move until it has witness. Otherwise, we're just mm. crying alone. Man, how to do that right now. But I do believe that, that the movement of grief is what actually leads to clear thinking and people smiling. You know, if we could feel pain deeply of what's going on today, then what, what op- then we have the opportunity to actually really bring some good change. I, I agree. I want to jump in there for a second because let's see, we're here in August. So three months ago, my best friend's younger brother passed away from an accidental overdose. Uh, I've spoken about it here on the podcast. And mm. this this young man is someone I've known for, I'd known for 12 years, actually 15 years. I'd known him, I'd known him since he was 12 years old. Wow. And it wasn't the first time I'd experienced loss in my life, but it was the first time I'd experienced tragic loss so close to me. Right. And speaking of grief, speaking of grief, I learned that I used to think grief was just all about pain and the experience of pain, which that was a huge part of it. But I also learned that grief is another opportunity to expand my capacity to love. What I witnessed and experienced in all of our friends and community coming together to grieve the loss of a, of a loved one mm. was an intimacy that I've experienced with people I've known for half of my life, but have never yeah. expressed in that way before. People that I feel very close to and have had very intimate moments with that we were suddenly supporting each other in a way and expressing our love and compassion to each other in ways that we never had before. So Mm -hmm. there's that part of grief that like you have to pay the price of admission. You have to be willing to step into the discomfort and the pain of loss or whatever it is that we're grieving to have that outcome. And, And I didn't really know that that's what was waiting on the other side. That was a, that was a new discovery to me. So I resonate with what you're saying and I, and I believe in the power of grieving. And that's also something if, if we as a society and just this generation in this lifetime can learn to change our relationship with pain and accept it as a part of life and be with it differently, I don't even know how, how that would change our culture, but I feel like it would be a dramatic shift in perspective. I really appreciate what you're saying. And there's, there's a part that you're talking about, which actually is about love. Because when, you know, when we grieve, when we feel pain, it's, well, why is that? What's the, what's the loss? Well, the loss is of something we love usually. It's, it's actually in that we do. And that's, to me, that's where the real, where the real hope lay. Being able, you know, why, why do you miss that, young man? I mean, yes, it's, tra- it's tragic, but there's something in there that's good. There's something in there that's good and important that, that's being missed. And I believe a lot of that is love. And I think that's why when we have the, like a cathartic, you know, like a funeral or memorial, or I'm not sure what you, all, what, you, what you all did, but being able to grieve together, being able to cry together, yeah, that's, that's a love fest. That's mm-hmm. actually, to me, that's actually about love. It's actually about like recognizing how much you love. And when I lead grief ceremonies, I'm smiled almost the whole time. And I think part of it mm. is because I feel that I'm in the presence of deep love and we're feeling mm. the pain of, of the loss of that thing that we love. But it also allows that love to come out and us to recognize that that's the binding. That's so much of the binding glue and what keeps us together. Yeah. 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 And I'm sorry to hear about about the loss of that young man too, which that's you know that's heavy. It affects it affects it affects all of us, you know, as cells in this big body. Yeah. Well, thank you for that, and thank you for sharing those words too, because I, I think it's important for people to hear it. And 
I, yes, I mean, it's, it, and it still hurts, but like you said, it's, it is a reflection of love. It's a, it's a part of love that I didn't have access to until this happened. And, and for many of us, you know, we didn't have access to that kind of love or that intimacy with each other until he passed. So since then, I've been able to really reframe his passing as a gift in, in many ways, in more ways than just what we've talked about already. And I think uh, I've witnessed mo- more people in my life sit with the weight of grief. Even now, I mean, I think about people I've seen who lost parents, grandparents passed away that never really got over it. And I think it's because they they got stunted in that grief process, never allowed it to happen for one reason or another, whether it's culturally unacceptable or it's seen as weakness or it's just so uncomfortable that people can't bear to be in it or they don't have the support to be in it or any other reason. I think it's important for us to learn how to do that more effectively. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I seriously doubt that our culture in America would be would be so polarized and really dehumanized if we to actually grieve together, because then we'd recognize how much we loved each other and how much how much alike we are. You know, I, I really believe mm-hmm. that that like I was saying, that, that kind of cap that's put on everyone, you shouldn't you shouldn't grieve, don't feel, don't cry. Uh, I believe that mm-hmm. that's a big part of what's leading to the dehumanization and, uh, and also to the incredible earth catastrophe and climate catastrophe that we're living in the living in the midst of. There's something else I want to I want to speak to, which I, which feels actually really important, which is, man, how would it be if we loved that much before they passed away? How would it be if we mm-hmm. express that love right now? How about how would it be if like we love the people we're with right now and we remember that when we get into conflict? Like, oh, no, I. I love, I love this man. I love this woman. I love this kid. I love this person, however they identify, even if it's in the greater, in the greater sense or in the direct sense of I love that person. Like, what if that was the way we forward? You were talking about mentors and this wasn't a mentor of mine, but something very influential for me when I was young, I was in my early twenties and I went to see a concert and I was in London and there was a guy from South Africa who was a dub poet. Our, our, his name was Mizwaki, Mizwaki Mbuli. He he died even before apartheid was over, I believe, or soon after it. But one of the things he said is, give me my roses now. Don't put them on my gravestone. Give me my roses now so I can so I can enjoy them, so I can smell them, so I can live the life now. Love now was what I got from that. Let's not let's not wait uh, to cry at the funeral. Let's love each other right now. It's such a powerful message because that's that's typically the regret that the living have is, I wish I would have said this. I wish I would have let them know how much I love them. I wish I would have spent more time. I wish, I wish, I wish. And that's what I saw, not just with the passing of our friend here, but anytime I've seen some somebody who's lost someone, there's always that sense of regret. I wish I would have loved more. That's, I think, a, just a greater reflection of where what we've put value on as a society. Like we already were talking about before, there's a, there's a fundamental shifting of values. We can learn a lot about how we are as people by what we value, right? That's, that's a whole nother conversation. But putting more value on our relationships, on sharing love and growth and acceptance and peace with each other is, is not something that we put a lot of value on. It's at least not number one, two, or three. So, yeah. so something you said in there made me want to shift gears a little bit into this, uh, the, the experiences that you have around rites of passage and this reimagining what community can be like moving forward. You and I haven't spoken about this explicitly, but I get the vibe here that you believe similarly to I do that reintroducing 
rites of passage and these ceremonies to mark these transitional, transformational milestones in our lives is a really important piece of this new culture, of a redefinition of culture that's going to serve humanity. So I just want to hear you speak a little bit more about that, whether it's your experience, what you've found, or maybe just where you're carrying it in the direction that you are with the work you do. One of the things that there's a bunch of threads here, so I'm just going to pull it the thread actually to start of about togetherness, about bonding. You know, when we look at and right relates to ritual in this in this case. So when we go through the like a deep ritual of change, I mean that's what rituals are. They're about moving from one place, one stage of life to the next. So whether it's a, a ritual of grief, whether it's a ritual of transition, you know, you were saying earlier. It was through the grieving and experiencing the pain together that I felt so much closer with these people, with these friends, family, whatever it was. And to me, that's a big part of the rite of passage and why I, a big part of why I like to do the rites of passage together. You know, rites of, rites of passage, especially for males, are often seen as this thing where the boy who will become a man has to go out alone onto his hero's journey and do this thing alone and come back with the head of a lion or whatever it's going to be and come back and show his his manliness. But to me, the part that really matters is the togetherness. It's not that he goes out alone. It's that he goes out from his people and comes back to his people. And that's what gives it what gives it value. And so doing the rites of passage and doing them in a group, when we do ours in a, in a small group, you know, we're a small group of with our youth and mentors, like, you know, we might be 20 to 25 with everyone, all everyone together, you know, guides and mentors and assistants and, and those who are going to do their rite of passage. But the thing that people tend to remember most is the bonding of what it felt like. Wow, I never felt this safe to share what's in my heart and speak with others. I never felt this close to 24 hours into the rite of passage. I can't tell you how many times I hear, I hear the young people say, I feel like I've known you guys forever. I haven't felt this way ever before. So close to someone. I've been able to share things with you. I haven't been able to share with people I've known my whole life. Mm -hmm. It's that bonding part. It's that coming together, the recognizing of each other's humanity, of opening up to being in love with each other. I don't think I talk about love in this way with the youth, but I know that it's an underlying, it's the under, it's one of the underlying things is they're in a certain way, they're falling in love with each other. I mean, you can't tell a 17 and 16 year old, Hey, it looks like you're falling in love with your friend. They won't know what you're talking about quite, but I believe it is that bonding, that love that there, that's one thread, you know, community. Yeah. That's why I love the rites of passage model that we come from, the, the tree that we come from with the School of Lost Borders and Stephen mm. Foster, where there is so much emphasis placed on incorporation, where the, the whole point of going out to receive a gift was to bring it back to the community. And in the Rising Man community, we've put a high emphasis on that, you know, really emphasizing that this, this all really starts when you come back. <laughs> yes, going out and fasting and having your solo experience and your insights is important, but what is a gift if not for people to share it with, for a community to share it with? And so what, what do you, when they come back, do you all like, do you hear their stories or do you have some kind of gathering for them? Or what do you guys do? So every time men come back across the threshold, they're received by other initiated men. 
and their stories are heard and witnessed for the first time and mirrored back to them. And then there's right. an incorporation process that we've created, we go through to help. I usually describe it to men as stepping back into the world that's not ready to receive you. The rest of the world that has no idea or context for what you've been through. We, of course, we prepare the guys for how to speak with their direct community because outside right, of our right. Rising Man community, there's the the parents and the siblings and the partners, et cetera. But to largely go back to a world that will have no idea and, and won't understand what you just went through. And then we do, we have ongoing, we do seasonal incorporation calls. And next year we're going to do our first in-person incorporation gathering, really Great. cementing this idea that it's a, we're a community of men who have been initiated into this way. And in order to keep yeah. it moving forward and to get support and give support, we got to keep right. coming back together. So, and, and often these men, you know, the guys who've been with us for a few years, they're doing more things and their, their lives are weaving closer together. I see guys going on trips together and spending time together and visiting each other when they're in town. Cause a lot of the guys, you know, we're still so spread out, which my ultimate vision is that we get back to doing this with the people that we live around in our direct community, similar to the way you guys are doing it. Yep. I think a lot of the people in your community are, are local, correct? A lot are. Yeah, a lot are. It, it, this is really interesting, but our men's quests tend to come from farther away, which is really funny. Uh, but our youth, our youth initiation, our young men's initiation, they tend to be almost only local. Our mentors tend to be local. What's kind of funny, our yeah. men's quest, uh, that's one of the few ones that we end up having a Zoom call rather than an in-person because they somehow they tend to come from all over the West mostly. We're different then. But yes, we generally in Cascade Quest our focus and my, you know, certainly my, my thinking since the beginning is let's do this right here. There's hundreds of thousands of people in the Eugene area. Certainly there must be enough who are interested in what we have to do. And I think that, sure. that, that the piece that we're talking to, they're speaking to right now, like coming out of that school lost borders tradition, I think it was great that they talked about incorporation. And I think that our responsibility is to actually, let's really magnify that. Because, you know, especially with local, with local organizations. And I, I believe, and in talking to, to some of the, the other guides who trained directly with Stephen before he passed away, you know, they were like, yeah, they wanted to come up with a bare bones, with a, a bare bones kind of system, and then take that and flesh it out. Add the organs, add the flesh to make it look like you in your place, your people in your place. And I feel like that's what we've been doing with Cascadia Quest because the focus on incorporation and that's where he, we fall down all the time. We stumble and fall and are looking for our way to try and make like, how do we do this? How do we keep it together? And slowly over a few years, like it's slowly coming together. And every year we're trying to, to find our place. So, you know, I, I want to hear what you continue to stay in touch with you and hear what you're doing and what's working at Rising Man. And I hope we'll, we'll stay in touch with that too, because I, I just feel like yeah, be initiated into someone, someone's, you know, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm really starting to get that now that we've done this. It's only six years that we've been doing our youth, initi our youth initiations and for the formation of Cascadia Quest. I was leading, I was leading Rites of Passage or Vision Fast for Adults before that for five more years. But now I'm really starting to see how people get initiated into a way you know, you probably have your ways that you sit in council or either your ways that you recognize spirit or your ways that you, you know, ways of communicating. And people, you know, with Cascadia Quest, they get initiated into something. And I've actually felt that that's really valuable. 
to actually have a way that you do things. Not, it's not like something I say a lot is like the way we do the medicine wheel or the way we do counsel, it's not the only way, it's a way, but it's at least it's a starting point. And I think that's really important for people who are like developing programs. It's okay to have a way to do things. And as long as you, you know, I think for us holding like, it's not the only way to do things, it's a way to do things, but then we have a starting point and we don't have to start with, how do we start? We start with, oh, this is where we are. Now let's get on to the juicy stuff. I, I appreciate that because that's, that's what it feels like a lot for us sometimes is that we're sort of like that pioneer spirit. You know, we're, we're really creating something, not something that's never existed before. And, and certainly we weren't the ones who initiated it here, but we're reintroducing culture, a whole new culture. I wasn't raised in this way, the way that we practice rites of passage and initiation in my community. And I have, I think I mentioned to you when we spoke, I have a son who's going to be six next month. And he already, he already knows that about the work that I do. And he, he, all of his Mm -hmm. uncles who are the closest to him have all gone out and fasted and are close to ceremony and to, and to ritual. And so, that's how you create a new culture or reintroduce, or I don't know if it's reintroduce or change culture, but that's the way that it happens. And that's, that's what we're aiming to do in rising man is to offer a new culture that many of us had somewhere in our lineage. If you go far enough back, but was lost along the way, whether it was, Mm -hmm. you know, four days of wilderness fasting or something else, there's, there's a a ritual and traditional way of connecting with, with nature and connecting with the nature in ourselves that I think is really important. So yeah, yeah, I see, I see you doing that and holding that down. And that's why I, I really respect the work that you're doing and everything that you've got going on up there, because I, I know what the journey's like. It's, it's, it's difficult sometimes to help people see the value in that and the importance mm-hmm. of that when they haven't been raised that way and haven't experienced it yet themselves. I think the people have an inner knowing. I've often had the experience of, you know, sitting around, sitting around the fire, maybe during, during a vision fast and. And someone says something that's along the way, the line of, oh, wow, I feel like I'm getting something that I knew was possible, but just haven't experienced, but I've known it was possible my whole life. I'm getting something I've wanted my whole life. I mean, I felt, I felt that when I did my vision pass, but just the experience of, you know, sitting in a circle around a fire, passing a talking piece and being listened to deeply, just that in nature. You know, being surrounded by all those other beings that are also partaking in the council. So I, I really believe it's in our soul and deeply in our inner world, these things. So I think there's a level which we do know, and it's a matter of finding. Finding these old ways that are just as relevant today. I mean, I, I don't think that sitting around a, a fire sitting in a circle around a fire and being listened to deeply and speaking from your heart. I don't think that's gone out of style. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think that's not going to be part of the human experience. Like, like to me, this thing we're doing now of sitting in front of a computer and our eyes are not properly focused and we got like all this gear and whatnot, man, that's, that's just time limited. It, it has an expiration date, but I don't think that sitting around a fire under the stars I mean, those 5G satellites, they're going to crash one day. They're ruining the stars. Have you seen them yet? The lines, the lines of satellites mm-hmm. that go through in the middle of the night. Yeah, they got, yeah. they got a time limit. But those stars, I don't, think, I don't think sitting under the night sky has a time limit. And I think these things, are, these things are going to be, they're not going to find their expiration date. We just have to remember. We just have to remember them. And it's deep, it's deep in our soul. 
Absolutely. I believe that. I guess just to finish that out, like I'm, what I'm saying is, I believe we're bringing people to as much as possible to part of what they know and part of our responsibility and my responsibility as a guide is to be humble enough to hear the other pieces that they're bringing that I have not been able to see. And together, we're able to, to really be able to create that, you know, how do we say radically sustainable earth-based culture? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I think that's a, a wonderful place to put a bookmark in this conversation for now. Really, really beautiful and profound words there, Rob. Before I cut you loose, I want to ask you a couple of lightning round questions. Are you ready for that? Sure. Okay. What is one thing you've learned that you wish you knew when you were 18? How to ask a girl out and not, not feel bad when she says no. That's a really good one. I haven't heard that one yet. That's good. <laughs> I don't know, that doesn't matter if it's a girl. How to ask for what you want, not not work, not feel bad if you get if you get a no. <laughs> yeah, accepting rejection as a part of life, right? Good one. What do you think is the most important value to have as a man? I don't know if it's a value, but I would just say just connection to love, connection to our hearts. And last but not least, Rob, where can people go to find out more about you and about Cascadia Quest? Can you give us that information? Sure. They could look at CascadiaQuest.org. That's the beginning. And like, I really invite personal connection. Like, that's what I really appreciated about you. Like, you know, we had a common friend that put us in touch and you reached out, you gave me a call, we talked with each other. To me, that's the part that matters. Like, let's, you know, make a connection to hear each other's voices, hopefully you know, feel each other, be in each other's presence. We got to hang out. Me and you, mm -hmm. we got to hang out with Sean. Yeah. You know, when yeah, this pandemic down. This is past, we got to get together and hang out. We will do that. We'll make that happen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all about it, Rob. I look forward to that. And again, thank you for taking the time. It's wonderful to connect with you in this way and hear some of your good words this morning. I wish you the best and I look forward to catching up with you further down the road. Yeah, thank you. I really appreciate you reaching out and doing this and, you know, just sharing all your good, your good words and your good message and your openness and your, you know, just your optimism and your beautiful smile with these other men and other people. Good, man. Keep going. And tell Sean I said hi, too. Will do. Thank you, Rob. All right, everybody, I hope you enjoyed that episode. Remember, for all the links and resources that we mentioned in the episode, you can go to risingman.org and check it out there for this episode and every other episode. Please subscribe to us wherever you're listening to the podcast and subscribe to our YouTube channel as well for additional video content we're putting out there. That's at youtube.com slash the rising man movement. Give us a follow on Instagram at rising man movement. Big shout outs to every one of you who's out there supporting. Every one of you who's helping carry the torch forward, who's helping us keep the flame lit, I want to thank you. Even if you're just listening to the podcast and subscribing, it's such a big help in helping this movement move forward. So thank you for that. Until next time, rise up and claim your destiny.